Good morning. Welcome from across the pond, Newcastle, uh, England. We are right up in England, almost as far as you can go uh, before you get to Scotland. And um, it's just such a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, we've had an ongoing partnership in the gospel in uh, sharing the light of the gospel in England, which is increasingly a dark place uh, with a wonderful Christian heritage, but where uh, less than 1% of the population would sit in a church like this where the gospel's uh, faithfully preached um, and where many people uh, are basically illiterate when it comes to the things of the Lord. So uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful privilege to partner uh, with you all in bringing the gospel to what is increasingly uh, a very dark place. Um, I'm so privileged to be able to bring the Word of God to you uh, this morning. Uh, after the service, I'd love to talk with you more about uh, the work that we do in the north of England, so please come find me um, and, and talk with me. But let's now turn our attention to God's holy Word. I'm going to uh, read... Uh, the passage, which you can find in your bulletins, it's from Acts chapter 2. The context here is, of course, that Christ has ascended on high. He's told His disciples to stay in Jerusalem till uh, He gives them the, the Holy Spirit in, in a particular way. That has come and uh, the Holy Spirit has been manifested in enabling the apostles to speak in all sorts of tongues uh, to those who were gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of, of Pentecost. And uh, the crowd is at first perplexed by this. Some people think they're drunk. And Peter uses the opportunity to get up and to preach a powerful sermon, essentially saying, Christ whom you crucified, you who are right here before me, you had a, a part to play in his crucifixion. He's now ascended on high, and he is ruling over everything. And that has a profound effect on the crowd in front of him. And they cry out, and they cry out asking uh, Peter and the apostles what they should do. They, they cry out um, and they say to the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter responds, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. And what we're going to see now is the aftermath of that as people are added to the church. So let's pick up uh, the reading here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. So those who received His word were baptized. That's Peter's word, obviously from Christ. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Would you pray with me? Almighty, glorious God, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You don't remain silent, but You have spoken to us and You continue to speak to us even this morning in Your Word. We pray that You would do that now by the powerful working of Your Holy Spirit, even as You did so many years ago on that day of Pentecost. We know that what we are about to do, we might as well not do if it is not filled with Your Holy Spirit. So we ask now for His work amongst us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Well, I would like to approach this passage this morning by uh, saying that as I was growing up, I grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia, not too far from here. I attended uh, Virginia Tech. As I was growing up, my father had various scriptures that were favorites of his. And um, some of them are the sort of cliche scriptures that you'd find on plaques in uh, various homes and that sort of thing. But for him, they weren't just cliches. If you knew him, you'd know that. He uh, marches to the beat of his own drum. He is about as interested in cliches um, as, uh, as, I don't know, um, something. You're just not very interested in cliches. Um, but um, he, they were sincere life verses for him. Things like um, Romans 8:28, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Um, scriptures like Philippians 8, uh, 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, uh, noble, and it goes on, think on these things. Or John 16:33, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And these scriptures were things that came up throughout my childhood, and they were like a drumbeat through our life. You would always bring them up, and so even now I can just recall them very easily. The same I've found is the case with my congregation, the congregation that I serve in Newcastle. I have certain passages of scripture that I'm always coming back to. And my prayer is that just like it was for me growing up, that these are passages that become a part of the life of the church, something a part of the DNA of the church. And so as I was thinking about what to preach this morning, it was natural for me to go to one of these passages. And the one that I've just read, Acts chapter 2 and the end of the chapter, is 
showing us what a living church looks like. It's showing us what a living church looks like, particularly in a time and place where things aren't as they should be, where things aren't as they should be. And we live in times where all around us it is increasingly clear that things aren't as they should be. Of course, that's been true since the fall, but there seems to be an intensification of that around us. If you ask anyone on the street in Newcastle, England, they will immediately have a sense that things all around them in society, in the country, are not the way they should be. I follow a little bit the events over here, and I think probably the same is true over here. Uh, there's so much conflict, so much dissension, uh, things that used to be taken for granted now can no longer be taken for granted. What's the answer? What is the answer in a situation where things aren't as they should be? Well, in this passage, the Apostle Peter, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that it is Christ through His church. Christ through His church is the answer to a situation where things aren't as they should be. If you're not a Christian this morning, I would appeal to you to give me a hearing as I lay out to you how Christ through His church is the answer to the circumstance you find yourself in. If you are a Christian, you need to be reminded of this very basic fact that we can so often take for granted. And you need to be reminded how you're to live according to that fact. You need to be reminded that the Christian life is not a spectator sport, but it's something that we are very much to be involved in by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, what I want to show you is that God's answer to a perverse generation is a living church. God's answer to a perverse generation is a living church. So, I want to divide up this time in four short sections. The first is a context of perversion. The second is a commitment to the local church. The third is a fear of God. And the fourth is addition to the church. A context of perversion, a commitment to the local church, a fear of God, and addition to the church. As Peter's interacting with these people, he calls them to be saved from this perverse generation is what I have in, in the New King James is what I use. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted to them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Now, what does perverse mean? It means twisted. It, it means not as it ought to be, departed from God's way. And that was the situation that Peter was speaking into. If you think about the Greco-Roman world, it was a world in which 
sexual promiscuity was just commonplace, where beauty and power were the key values. And if you were particularly an adult male and you were beautiful, handsome, and powerful, you could do whatever you wanted. There wasn't much of a, a moral code to constrain you. It had a low view of women. Abortion was rampant. And everything was falling apart when it came to the way that God have, has called us to live. In Jewish society, things weren't much better. You had a situation where God's people had returned to the land. They tried to live according to God's ways, but Jewish society, the church had fallen into various groups which were marked by bankruptcy. There were those who were hypocritical. We often think of the Pharisees who, who in some ways tried to live according to all the rules, but their lives didn't match what they preached. They didn't practice what they preached. There were others like the Sadducees who uh, were cozying up to the Romans, trying to make their lives as much like the ruling class as possible and, and hold on to their Jewishness in some way. And then there were others who withdrawed completely from society and tried to have their own pure little community in the face of this situation. But all these responses were not working. They were bankrupt. They, they lacked integrity. They lacked the power of the Holy Spirit. And into that, Peter comes preaching Christ, preaching the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching one who came as one who is despised and rejected of men, preaching one who was so disfigured that we read in Scripture that we were turn our eyes away from him, preaching one who, who went to the, the worst possible execution imaginable, but one who was the God-man and one who could fix the basic problem of every man, woman, and child, and that is their rebellion against God. But this isn't only a history lesson. These realities are very true of our day. All around us, there is an emptiness. There are increasing social problems. There's political craziness of people being completely uh, divided from one another. There's atomization of, of people retreating into their own little spheres. There's growing violence. There's sexual confusion abroad. There's more volatility in the world than we've seen for a long time. And people are running to short-term fixes to hide from all of this. People are looking for short-term self-fulfillment. And they are twisting the way they should live as people, families, and as a society. And what are they finding? 
they're finding that it's absolutely empty. And those who are more honest, even secular people, are beginning to recognize that. Living apart from God's ways, living in perversion, not just in gross perversion, as we often use that word, but in any way that twists God's ways is ultimately empty. And that, brothers and sisters, should grieve us. That should grieve us first and foremost, not because it's against our ideologies, but because we love God and we love His ways. And it grieves us when we see people departing from what He has said is good. But it should also grieve us because it hurts people. It hurts real people. Perhaps you know people in your own family or friend groups who are destroying their lives by going away from the ways of God. It should grieve us. So what are we to do about it? What are we to do for ourselves, for our children? What do we have to give to people around us? Well, Peter has a gospel call be saved from this perverse generation. Saved from judgment, first and foremost. He's just said Christ is reigning. Christ is over everything. He is the world king who is coming again in judgment. You thought he was gone on the cross, but he's not. He's ascended into heaven, and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. That's what he's been preaching to these people. And he's saying, escape this judgment. If you are not in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, he is saying, escape the real, powerful, unstoppable judgment of Jesus Christ that is coming on this world. But he's also calling these people and you to the Lord Jesus Christ. He had just said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent, turn from your rebellion against God. Start a whole new pattern of life. Not just in your own strength, not just by your own power, but by turning unto Jesus Christ. And baptism symbolizes the washing of the, the blood of Christ. It symbolizes us receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit that we might then live in God's ways powerfully as He slowly but surely transforms every aspect of our life. And, and this is the call that He is laying before these people. He's saying, come to Christ. Come to the One who lived perfectly every single moment of his life here on earth and continues to as a man so that that perfect righteousness could be given to you. Come to the one who died not only the terrible, shameful, excruciating death of the cross, but died under the just anger of his Father for the sins and transgressions of everyone who will cast himself on him. Come to this one who offers you true life, who offers you fellowship with God. Come to Christ. But if we are going to respond to that, and if the people around us here in Lynchburg are going to respond to that, they need to see 
the perversion of their society. They need to see the perversion all around them so that they will see that they need someone to save them from the wrath to come. They need to see that perversion leads only to emptiness and ultimately to, to cruelty. So, brothers and sisters, first, I want to say to you, you look at the society around you through the lens of God's Word. See how empty and perverted it is. And then look to Christ afresh for your own soul. Pray that your family members, your friends, those who you work with, will, by the almighty power of the Holy Spirit, be given a fresh sense of the emptiness of this world that they might heed such a call that we see in this text. And also, do not lose heart in calling people to Christ. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. We live in a time here in Lynchburg, in Newcastle, England, where you will be laughed at for saying the things I'm saying this morning. But you know what? Peter was laughed at. They said, this guy's drunk. And yet, he boldly stood up and called out the people around him and called them to the Lord Jesus Christ, to salvation and life in him. So do not lose heart in doing that. Do not lose confidence in the gospel. In this context of perversion, see it, but come to Christ and call others to Christ. But as, as people come to Christ, they're not just coming as atomized individuals. They're coming in this passage to a living community, to the church. And that's why my second point is commitment to the local church. We see there in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. These Christians were devoted to the local church. What does it mean to be devoted to something? Well, it's to give all of something, especially your time, effort, love, loyalty to someone or something you believe in. What did that look like for these Christians here? Well, we're told right in the text. It looked like them being devoted to the apostles' doctrine. They wanted to know about their God. They wanted to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted to know about who He was and what He had done. They had a deep desire to fill themselves with sound doctrine, which is just truth from God's Word. And so they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the doctrine that they preaching, hearing their sermons, maybe talking with them afterwards, talking with others around them about it. How can I live this out in my life? What does it look like for me to to take this in, to digest it, to make it my own? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
They were devoted to each other. We have a picture in this passage of them being in each other's houses. They knew each other. They were in and out of each other's homes. And that went with hospitality. They opened their homes to each other. Perhaps we also have a reference to the Lord's Supper here in the breaking of bread. But at the very least, they were eating together. They were sharing table fellowship together. That's hard. That takes sacrifice, particularly in busy 21st century lives. But that's what we see here in the passage. And they were devoted to prayer. And not just private prayer. I, I love private prayer. That's very biblical. It's wonderful. But they were devoted to corporate prayer. It says to the prayers. They were devoted to praying together as the people of God because they recognized that the power wasn't going to come from themselves, wasn't going to come from their programs, their ideas, what they were doing. It was going to come from God Himself. And so they needed to be on their knees crying out to God for that power. And they were devoted to the core patterns of the local church. And they were patterns. Some of you might have seen Kevin DeYoung's newish little book called Do Not Be True to Yourself. And in that book, he has a wonderful quote. He's speaking mainly to high school students that are about to go off to college and about how important it is to find a local church. And he says, it's one of the best things my parents ever did for me. They took me to church every week, Sunday morning and Sunday evening. It wasn't even a question. It wasn't up for debate. It didn't depend upon the weather. It didn't depend on whether we had a full day of activities on Saturday. It didn't depend on whether the sports league had a tournament on Sunday. We went to church. And so it never even crossed my mind that I would go off to college and not go to church. It's what we did. It's who we were. It was a non-negotiable rhythm of life. And that's what we see in these Christians here in our passage. It says, and day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They were day by day worshiping God together corporately and more privately. Now, that doesn't mean we need to be in church every single day, but the point is they had a rhythm to their life, a rhythm to their worship that was like the rhythm of the de Young household that then passed itself on by the work of the Holy Spirit to Kevin. And that's what this passage is pressing upon us here. We are to have rhythms of life that are rooted in the local church. Why? Why is that important? Just because I'm a pastor and I think it's good to talk about the church and I want as many people to be involved in the church? Is that why? No. It's because the local church is the gift that God has given to us so that we might know Christ and grow up into Him. In Ephesians 4, we read, and he himself, that's Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry 
So he's given the pastors and teachers to equip you all to be doing ministry. For why? Why has he done this? For the edifying, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We're to be devoted to the local church like we see here in Acts 2 because that is the gift that God has given to us so that we might know and savor and see and love Christ more and grow up into more of a fullness of His character worked into us by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God the Father. That's why being devoted to the local church is so important. You know, in our, in our catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we read this in question 85. What does God require of us that we may escape His wrath and curse due to us for sin? And it says, to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requireth of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life, with diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption. What are those outward and ordinary means? Well, we're told a few questions later. They are the word, sacraments, and prayer. Where do we find those particularly? We find them in the local church. And this is the gift that God has given to us that we might grow up to know Him and live for Him more fully. So do we want to be saved from this perverse generation? I'm not talking just about justification here. I'm talking about the whole package, justification, sanctification, glorification. Do we want to be saved from this perverse generation? Well, we must be devoted to the local church. And that cuts hard against our individualistic culture. We want to do our own thing, right? We want to make our own schedules. We don't want to uh, work it around the, the local church. Others opening up our homes and hospitality, pouring into other people, even when it's hard, even when they reject us. But that's what we're called to do. It cuts hard against our consumer mindset. Church is here for me, right? I judge the church by what I get out of it, right? I want to go to a church where, where I'm fed. Oh, of course, you want to go to a church where you're fed. That's wonderful. That's good. But church isn't only about what you get. It's about what you give. So, let me call you to renew your commitment to the local church this morning. I believe in the PCA you make promises when you join a local church. It's the same in my denomination. Some of the promises you make, I think, are do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Do you, you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and priests? Go home, think about what those vows that you have made mean afresh. 
Think about how that would flesh itself out in your lives today. Renew your commitment to the local church. But I also want you to notice from this passage that there was a fear of God more briefly amongst these people. And that's my third point. You know, this wasn't just a social thing. It wasn't just that they were in each other's homes, that they were eating together, that they were having a nice time together. No, this was a God-centered thing. You notice in our passage that it says that there was an awe. Verse uh, 43, an awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There was a fear of God in which all this was going on. God was among them. That was the idea. And they had a, a, a felt sense of reverence and wonder for Him. God was among them by His Word preached and His Spirit making that powerful. And that was being authenticated by wonders. Now, you might say to me, well, that was all great for the apostles, for the first century church. I mean, remember, Peter went out, he healed someone who was lame. A bit later, they're having a prayer meeting, and all of a sudden, the the place where they're meeting starts shaking. But Benjamin, that stuff doesn't happen today. How am I supposed to feel an awe and a wonder when that sort of thing doesn't happen? Well, let me put it to you that actually the greatest miracle that God can do is to bring someone from death to life. The greatest miracle God can do is to change someone's mind and heart and will so that they love and treasure and savor the Lord Jesus Christ and devote all their life to Him. And if you're a Christian this morning, that miracle has been done in your life. Perhaps you've seen it be done in others around you. In the congregation I serve, we had the privilege of baptizing a Chinese student who's come from atheism and and a complete non-Christian background. We baptized him last Sunday. And, And I had a chance to say to my congregation, behold the wonders of God. Behold the almighty supernatural work of God. We have that. And so let's pray brothers and sisters. Let's pray that as we devote ourselves to the local church and as we devote ourselves to these things that make a living church, that it would be true of us what was true of the people in Corinth. Paul says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convicted by all and he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Let's pray that that would happen. Does that seem unrealistic? Well, God's done it in the past. Even as recently as 1949, in some of the islands in northern Scotland, God so took over an island that that people were Young people were in a dance hall, and and they had an overwhelming feeling that they had to be at the church. And the whole place was overcome by by a, a presence of God and by reverence for Him. People crying out, what must I do to be saved? He can do that here in Lynchburg. So let's pray for that. Let's cry out 
for the wonders of God to be done in our midst. And then fourthly, I want you to notice that as these people are devoting themselves to the church, as we see a living church in this passage, and they're doing it in the fear of God, that God adds to the church. We see that in verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And verse 47, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We must believe, brothers and sisters, that as we devote ourselves to the church, as God works a living church here in Lynchburg and builds up this living congregation, that He will add to you those whom He is saving. And that you devoting yourself to the local church is a key part of that. Because if you're not convinced of that, if I'm not convinced of that in Newcastle, England, then we'll get distracted on all sorts of other things. Whether that's good things, like a building project, or whether it's other things, or whatever it might be. We have to be absolutely convinced that as we devote ourselves to the local church, that God will build up, God will provide all that we need. God will provide a, a building like your building and everything that we need. But we have to first and foremost be focused on these core things and believe that as we do that, God will build his church. So God's answer for a perverse generation is a living church. And my call to you this morning is devote yourself to Mercy Presbyterian Church. Devote yourself to each other. Devote yourself to being in each other's homes. Devote yourself to the doctrine preached from this pulpit. Do it in the fear of God and pray that He will fill you and those around you with a reverence for Him and His name. Pray, work for all these things that He may be glorified and that He may add to your number day by day those who are being saved to the glory of His name. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for this congregation here in Lynchburg. We thank you for their work and their love and their service for you. We thank you for how you are providing for them all that they need. We pray that you would help them to redouble their efforts in devoting themselves to the local church that they would more and more see your wonders in the conversion of men, women, and children. And that day by day, you would add to their number those who are being saved. And we pray these things in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.